Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to this week's Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and this week we'll be chatting gear sticks, streaming deals, livery season, Formula One, and much, much more. Joining me from across the garage is a teammate whose used dog rings I'd happily slip straight into my own transaxle because his shifts are as smooth as butter, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you? Well, I've, I've really grown to look forward to your intros, but I'm not sure about that one. There was uh, some strange connotations <laughs> on some of that stuff, but I guess to Slipping be honest- the transaxle is kind of, yeah, it was, it, it, it's a bit strange. I was really hoping you were going to uh, say that I was a teammate that uh, you'd offer to share your Stan account with, because I'm on the lookout mm. for a Stan account partner, so uh, we might yeah, have ma- to maybe next week. We might have to go halvesies, I think. What is it? 20 bucks a month? We might have to- uh, Chip in a tenner each. Oh, yeah, we don't have until next week, do we? No, no, it's this. No, we actually, you're right. We got to get on with it. We got to get on with it. We're going motor racing. Actually, it is weird to think that we are going motor racing this weekend. Yeah, it's uh, only a couple of days away as we record this on Mm. Tuesday. Absolutely. I guess maybe I'd forgotten about that because my mind's been a little bit all consumed with the exciting news, Stefan that the shift storm, as you coined it in a beautiful slip of the tongue last year, it's finally over. The stick has been saved in all of its gear-crunching, heel-and-toeing glory. There's no auto blip, no electronic switches telling the gearbox what to do, just three pedals and a mechanical linkage and a driver that has to make all of the magic happen. It will come as no surprise to anyone that I'm a huge, huge fan of this outcome. We're going to just we're keeping the heart of supercars in these Gen 3 cars. I just think it's a fantastic thing. We'll discuss, you know, how we got there and why it took so long. But first and foremost, thank the good Lord that sanity has prevailed. Stefan, do you share my excitement at this news? Surely there's some unseen footage of you dancing through the streets of Perth uh, <laughs> because we did get the embargo on, what, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. So uh, yeah. you would have been cutting the rug there. Somewhere out and about in Perth, just uh, dancing the night away in celebration. But yeah, as you say, like what uh, what great news it it had to happen. Um, it was madness from the start. This whole whole debate and how long it went on for. I mean, we tend to you know pick supercars apart, um, rules, everything. But we love the formula. Like the actual cars are awesome, and this is a part of it that doesn't need to change. Moving from Gen two to Gen three, so. I guess the only downside for us is that it has been great news fodder 
It's been the mm-hmm. gift that's uh, kept on giving for uh, motorsport websites uh, that report on these things. And I guess as it turned out as well, it was an amazing mic drop for uh, Sean Seymour at Bathurst where he told us he was all very disappointed <laughs> in us and we never saw him again. <laughs> I'm sure that was actually very, very satisfying for him. Now, th- this whole announcement has kind of been framed as, you know, we've heard the fans and we've responded and that's great. And I'm sure, you know, that fan reaction has played its part. But the thing that maybe confuses me a little bit about that is that, you know, there were fan surveys. Ryan Walkinshaw did a fan survey on Twitter like last June that showed overwhelming feedback in favour of the stick. So I'm not sure it can be attributed solely for the decision because if it was just that, we would never have got to this point where it was even a debate. Um, there has been some chat about some issues with the with the auto gear shift system that's been fitted to the Gen 3 cars during testing so far, I don't believe it's worked entirely flawlessly. Uh, there's been some big changes to the to the landscape of the paddock itself as well. With as you mentioned, you know Sean Seymour, who was at very least open to paddles, if not pro paddles, he's no longer CEO. Uh, Roland Dane, you know the shrewdest politician in pit lane, who was always seen as pro paddles, he's taken a step back from the sport now that Jamie Winkup's in charge of. Triple Eight, um, and it's also kind of interesting that it was a unanimous decision, or or that you know Supercar said it was a unanimous decision from the Gen Three Steering Committee, even though it was such a contentious issue for so long. What do you what do you think you know really drove the decision to dump both the AGS and the paddles and stick with the uh, stick with the stick? Yeah, you've brought up uh, my favourite part of that that announcement. Really, was the fact that it was um, described as unanimous support from the Gen 3 committee and you sort of think, how can a 12-month rolling brawl <laughs> exactly. end in a unanimous vote from a committee with like a dozen members on it uh, representing quite a few teams and uh, supercars management, supercars technical, all of that. It was uh, quite strange because, um, yeah, like as you sort of said, like the there was a few people that were there in December that maybe weren't there in early 2022 um, that could partly explain why it was unanimous, but it does kind of feel like um, those guys from Race, Barclay, Nettlefold, the, the new ownership sort of just came in and, and made the captain's call, I guess. Um, you know, sometimes the last one to enter the room is probably the best to judge uh, whether whether it smells in there or not. So uh, <laughs> it, it feels like they've come in and just made the decision. But I, I do think there is a fan element um in it, I mean, we saw only 12 months ago with the Mark Larkham stuff where he'd been boned from the TV team and then they had to bring him back, do a complete backflip on it within a matter of a month or so before the start of the 2021 season. I mean, that was fan-driven. So I think I think it would be remiss to suggest that the overwhelming feedback from the public wasn't taken into account here. And uh, I just wonder what's, what's next, what's... Uh, What's going to be the big blunder in 2022 that uh, the fans can help solve? Well, I think, you know, we've still got a fair way to go with these Gen 3 cars until they're race-ready cars. But, yeah, look, I, I, I take what you're pointing. There's a couple of interesting points there. Like when you bring up the Larco thing, and you're 100% right, that was clearly decision-made, like backlash from the fans, decision-reversed. The timeline was very concise. I guess this is, you know, what I'm saying about the fact that there was there – was, there was fan feedback that that was out there, you know, the middle of last year saying that this was a bad idea. I don't remember 
any at any point where there was any positive feed, fan feedback towards the paddles, yet it still rumbled on and on and on. So I guess that's what I mean by, by the mm. fact that I'm sure it played its part. It's just, you know, whether that was the absolute decisive factor. I totally agree that new ownership has um, had a huge influence on this decision because as soon as that, uh, as the bidding process was over, there was actually, you know, I, I was basically hearing that it was dead in the water at that time. The first thing the new owner said when they came in is we're not doing paddles. There's nothing wrong with just sticking with a, a stick shift. That's what everyone wants. That's what we're going to keep going. Now, it didn't necessarily die in the water at that moment because we know it rumbled on and we know there was that fantastic press conference in Bathurst that I still really, <laughs> really wish I was there for because it looked like a whole bunch of fun. Um, so, you know, it did keep going, but it was clear from that point that, you know, the preference um, from race was to get rid of it. But anyway, look, the good news is that it is that it is actually done. And as you say, we can move on to the next thing that's going to cause some sort of controversial blow up, which, you know, we need something. We need something to, uh, to, to give us something to write about. Um, what do you reckon it could be? I mean, Gen 3 testing continued at QR last week. Shane Van Gisbergen just loves the heat, doesn't he? If anyone <laughs> saw the, um, the little social clip of him talking about how warm it was in a fairly concise manner while sitting in the car. Um, there are still a few other little issues going on with things like the steering and the ergonomics in those cars, Stefan. What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, you brought up the, the ergonomic stuff last week, the fact that Shane doesn't, uh, doesn't really fit in the car properly, um, being one of the, the taller drivers in the field. And clearly that's still an issue. That's something they're still working on with that Camaro it's, it's hard for them when they're swapping through drivers at, a, at test days when you've got quite different body shapes like Shane or, or Brody Kostecki or Will Brown coming in and out of the cars. But how, when it's essentially a Triple Eight designed car, how their star champion driver doesn't fit in it properly is something that's sort of a little hard to get, get your head around. But aside from that, there's still there's still a lot of work to do on the project. Like the cars look awesome, they sound awesome, and they're going around. Which, um, as as fans, that's what we want to see. But um, yeah, there's a lot of debate uh, going on behind the scenes, and it feels like we're a fair way from having a final spec on some elements of the car, like like the front end, the suspension and steering stuff. Behind the sheds, some of the feedback I think from the drivers hasn't been quite as glowing as it has. Uh, as publicly, there's been been a few issues going on, and I think last week stoked some some of the technical debates as well. I mean, the the first week of testing they did was a lot um, focused around putting putting miles on parts and just just doing laps. Where last week they were actually doing some tire testing, actually for 2022, which is a little bit unusual and confusing when when you think about it's sort of Gen three testing, but it's also sort of 2022 tire testing. And yeah. that meant doing doing setup changes and stuff like that, which shone a light on a few issues with ease of changes um, for suspension stuff. But that's sometimes that's difficult to to read from from the outside because it can be quite political as well. Some of those debates. I mean, Triple Eight were in charge of designing the front end and a lot of parts of the car. So when other teams are working on it, you know, it's it's like I'm sure as a journal, you look at some of my stories and go, I wouldn't have done it that way. Um, engineers are very much the same. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, but I feel like a fair bit of it's just part of the process. Um, 
one of the great milestones, I guess, was that the uh, the actual Camaro engine, the the block that they're going to race with, ran for the first time last week, which um, which is another tick in the box. Craig Lowndes actually scratched the Camaro, which I think is the first time someone's uh, mm. someone's done that with one of these cars. He had an off towards the end of the day there at turn six, which is the same corner that Anton actually bowled the Mustang into the sand earlier in the day down there. I think he, he got there thinking that um, – because it's interesting, a lot of the drivers drive a lot off those um, those lock lights that you get on the dash when your front yep. tire's locked. And uh, I reckon he's bowled down there thinking this thing had lock lights like his uh, regular Mustang. And it didn't, and uh, then they had to spend a bit of time digging it out of the sand. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's part of the process, and they'll now go to a few more tracks with the cars and uh, keep developing. It's interesting what you were saying about Shane not fitting in the car because I, I I know I read something once about when Porsche made the nine five six sports car, the Group C car. They built it around Jackie X because he was their champion driver, but he was also like tiny. And no one else could fit in it, but at least he fit in. And Porsche were like, "Oh well, he's he's fine. We'll be good." You think, you know, if they'd done the same with the Camaro, Giz would fit in it, and no one else would be able to see over the bonnet. Well, maybe be, like, maybe Brock Feeney, Brock Feeney was spending a lot more time in the workshop than Shane than during uh, during the last six months, perhaps. Well, I think Brock's there. Brock's the only driver that's driven it like every single time that the things <laughs> run. Um, so maybe he's the uh, maybe he's already got a political leg up in the little in the little teammate war there. Um, so, yeah, as you said, new tracks is next. The next time we'll see those cars will be at the preseason Winton test for the Victorian teams and Brad Jones Racing. Um, speaking of shoehorning tall blokes into the car, I think Garth Tander uh, will be driving the Camaro and definitely not speaking about tall blokes. Tony D'Alberto will be driving the Mustang. That's what we've sort of been hearing. Um, and the cars will be sharing the track with a lot of the existing cars because, you know, there'll be seven other teams testing their Gen 2 hardware there ahead of the new season. I asked Supercars yesterday what they're going to do in terms of transponders because generally that public that live timing is made public for that test. Um, the car, the Gen 3 cars apparently won't be running transponders, so they won't be, you know, showing up on the live timing screens. And, you know, we, we don't know too much about the performance of the cars yet in terms of, you know, lap speeds, lap times have been kept, you know, reasonably under wraps, apart from, like you say, a bit of behind-the-shed talk. Um, there's been a bit of behind-the-shed talk that, you know, those cars are actually getting pretty close to Gen 2 pace at, at, at QR now, even, you know, there might be some some tyre compounds and stuff playing a factor in that. Like, I guess it's understandable not timing the cars at this point, but it would have been kind of fun to see exactly where they stack up, right? Well, I figured you'd written that story yesterday because you were hoping uh, one of your many Twitter followers who's, who are going to be out there for the Winton testing might, uh, you know, get the old stopwatch out, send you Ooh. a few DMs, that sort of thing. That's a good idea. That's, that's, that's a, a good idea. Call out for listeners. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, despite the some of the issues that we just spoke about, the uh, the Gen three cars seem to be pretty quick. Like the some of the unofficial talk has been that Brody did a eight five in the Camaro on Friday, and I think Anton was only a couple of tenths away in the in the Mustang, and and an eight eight five sort of matches what Scotty McLaughlin did in twenty nineteen to get pole on the Sunday, which was the last QR quality session for supercars so like that's yeah bang on that time um the, the i guess the asterisk on it is that friday would have been with the 2022 super soft which is a bit quicker than uh, the tire that scotty would have been on in in 19 but still it's it's pretty impressive when you consider that these things 
we understand have a lot less downforce, these Gen 3 cars. Uh, I guess that's been countered by the fact that they're quite quite low-slung. COG would be a bit better, and there's supposedly 150 kilo less weight in these cars than the Gen 2 cars. So, yeah, looking at it in totality, I think they're going to be pretty quick. Yeah, somewhere like QR, a bit of torque doesn't hurt getting off the corners as well. I heard an even faster number, but we all know how fast stopwatches can get on a uh, on an unofficial testing day when there's um, when there's no official timing around. That's a that's a that's a trick as old as motor racing itself. Uh, in other supercars news, Brock Feeney will sport the eighty eight for his rookie supercar season. Were you surprised that Triple Eight didn't revive the Triple Eight for him and 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 park the the eighty eight that Jamie Winkup? made so famous in between running number one on his car? Now we're getting to the real topics, the, uh, the number analysis. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it did surprise me, to be honest, especially when they'd run Triple Eight for Brock in Super 2. But if you actually look at it, I mean, it makes sense to to leave that number for Lowndes, who, you know, clearly he'll be doing a wild card with Triple Eight at Bathurst again. I'd be very, very surprised if he's not. Um, so, yeah, as far as putting Brock in 88... I like the fact that it's not shying away from the fact that he's directly replacing Jamie and, like, the pressure yeah. that comes with that. Um, yeah. There's there's obviously a few factors, but when DJR put Anton not in 17, it almost felt a bit disingenuous that it's like, well, clearly he's the heir apparent to Scott McLaughlin, but they've sort of put Davo in 17 and, yeah, like it, it sort of felt like they were trying to hold back the comparisons a little bit where it's like mm-hmm. this is this is the number that's won a bunch of championships with Jamie and Brock's going in that car. It's just is what it is. Well, I guess Jamie's making the decision. Maybe he's like, here we go, put your big boy shoes on and, <laughs> and get cracking. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Um, it's seeming more and more certain that we're going to see the Newcastle 500 take Winton's spot in the calendar in May. What that means for Winton isn't entirely clear, although there's still you know a lingering question mark over, say, the Perth Super Night uh, because of the WA border and exactly when that's going to open. Stefan, I'm pretty sure on this very podcast, you flagged Newcastle moving to May when the news of its postponement first broke. So I'm claiming this as a big old Bartholomew's exclusive. Um, I don't, I've, done, I've never been to, I've only ever been to Newcastle in, you know, December or late November or whenever we used to go there. Are we going to need to pack some big thick jackets for, for, for this May event if it goes ahead? Yeah, it could be, it could be a little different. Um, in some ways, yeah, it, it's a shame. Like it's such a good vibe in Newcastle in that sort of summer slot, um, especially when they sort of, have a big music act around it as well. Um, it might be a bit of a different vibe at that time of year, but yeah, it'd be just great to see the event up and running. And, and supposedly, you would think that that timing would be based around the fact they do really want to be that season opener in uh, in 2023 for the new Gen 3 era. Well, I guess if someone uh, does a wink up and decides to dive into the harbour or the fountain <laughs> or something, they can add hypothermia to their list of ailments, including whatever stomach bug 
uh, J-Dub picked up swimming in that uh, in that fountain out the front of the pub there, which was a terrible idea from the moment he thought of it. Um, we foreshadowed it last week, uh, but there is, it's now been confirmed, there is a new TV deal for the Australian Racing Group categories, the Speed Series, which will feature the whole suite of categories that ARG owns and runs. It's going to be live on Stan Sport, along with some free-to-air, a free-to-air highlights package each week on Channel 9. Um, the deal will also include a bit of cross-promotion across other nine entertainment properties, radio, newspapers, all that sort of stuff. Now, it's believed to be worth something in the region of $20 million over four years. So it's a decent cash injection for ARG, no doubt about that. Uh, Stefan, you and I took part in a media conference with uh, ARG board member John McMillan and ARG CEO Matt Braid last week. The message was kind of like, yes, the money's great, but there's a belief that that we can grow the numbers by embracing these embracing new viewing habits. That was kind of all based off a government survey released last month that said 62% of people consume content via on-demand streaming compared to 58% on free-to-air TV, but, and here's the big but, the very same survey on the next page said that 67% of people still consume sport on free-to-air and only 25% via streaming. Um, the other sort of caveat to all this is that the streaming market is also heavily, heavily dominated by Netflix. Um, so, you know, to me, the obvious expectation would be that in the short term, at the very least, that there's going to be a drop in numbers compared to the Live 7 coverage. And I understand that some competitors aren't thrilled about it, um, particularly if they've already sold, you know, live free T, the, the live free TV thing to their sponsors, because this change has obviously happened, you know, basically a week out from the first event when most people have put their commercial packages already into place. Stefan, where do you sit on all this? Is, is it the right call to, to go with the investment or you know, and do you really think that this can help try and grow the viewership at all? From an ARG point of view, like, yeah, just that number you rolled out before, 20 million over four years, I totally get why they'd, they'd want to take that, as obvious as it sounds. Yeah. But, I mean, mm-hmm. it does feel like Stan's paying overs for it um, as yeah. part of an overall strategy to try to um, get people into this sports package. Um, clearly, ARG as well, like they, they've committed to – to paying for high-quality supercars media-produced TV. So to mm-hmm. be able to pay for that and end up with a good chunk left over um, is, is clearly just good good business on the balance sheet. But I yeah. do worry for where where it leaves the whole thing and, and its categories. I mean, yeah, you were talking a lot of, a lot of numbers there and um, the best data I could find on Stan is that it's got 2.4 million subs, but the actual amount of people that have got the sports package is pretty small. Like the last official data I saw was 150,000 subscribed to sports. And, uh, yeah, I've had, I've had people telling me that it's not a whole heap bigger than that now. So, And a lot of that would be – sorry to interrupt. A lot of that would be champ, like f- football fans, round ball football fans through the Champions League coverage as well, which aren't necessarily walk-up starts to watch a TCR or an S5000 race. Yeah, you're just starting with your potential audience. It's not uh, the amount of people. All of those people aren't going to be tuning in just because they've got it. So it, it does feel like a big gamble, to be honest. I mean, they've committed to this for four years. Um, and at this stage, it's still at a really early stage of life, this this TCR thing in particular. Um, it's, it's had a very unfortunate run through the pandemic that the last two years it hasn't been able to get any sort of momentum. 
because of what the pandemic's done to to the calendar and events. So there's there's not really a dedicated audience for it yet. I mean, when supercars made that move from free to wear to the the split pay model. Um, back in 2015, they at least had a fan base that, yes, a lot of them were quite aggrieved by the fact that they had to go and get Fox or, or now KO or, or whatever. But, man, when, when you're starting pretty pretty uh, much at the bottom of the ladder, it's hard to grow a product that's hidden from view, right? I mean, mm. the, the, the point of difference that really the TCR guys hammered home at the start of 2020 when their current deal or their previous deal now started was the whole free to air. We're live and free. This is our this is our point of difference. Um, so as you say, like whew, dropping this on competitors like just a week out from from the first race, I'm sure there are a lot of pretty difficult conversations had with with some of those guys. I don't envy the position they are in either now or potentially into the future. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there are some potential benefits to this whole thing. You know, there, there's the watchers live concept that you get with on demand streaming but you know i'm still not really convinced that the uptake's going to be massive because viewing habits are so split between entertainment content and sporting content now and it's almost reversed to what it was like 15 years ago you know we used to watch series tv live and sport on delay if you were in a market that was a different time zone i grew up in perth friday night footy started at 7 40 or whatever the same time the bounce down was in melbourne on a two or three hour delay um you know we all follow our favourite sporting teams on social media now. It's so much harder to watch sport on demand. We need to watch it live. It's something that John McMillan said during the media conference. You know, He said all businesses have to be commercially sustainable first and foremost and producing high-quality motorsport TV is expensive. Now, that's a perfectly reasonable explanation. Why not sign a lucrative deal? You know, There are positives for the business that should flow onto the sporting side at some point, even if it's going to be a bit of a rocky road in the short term, but, you know, I guess it's their job to try and frame it as positively as possible, but, you know, it, it kind of that – to, to frame it as a forward-thinking move that will boost the audience is, is, you know, it's ambitious to say the very least. There was also a line about how, you know, a midweek primetime highlights package may outperform a live broadcast on weekend afternoons, and that's maybe true if it was on, you know, the main nine channel in real – prime time but you know i don't think we're going to be seeing like you know nine's midweek lineup band you know maths on a monday tcr highlights on a tuesday and the block on a wednesday like i've actually like it, it, it from what i've heard it could be a 10 30 p.m slot on the main channel at least in the beginning which is a big stretch to be classed as prime time and you know any earlier slot that's going to come along you think would be on one of the other nine channels on gem or something like that where the visibility is that little bit that little bit less yeah, I mean, I guess part of this as well is the fact that I don't think the ratings were that great for the all-day live stuff on 7. So maybe to an extent they're playing with house money that what they were doing before wasn't working, so we may as well take a gamble on this. But it's it's in an interesting place. I mean, it is it is a different product, TCR, to, to supercars, and I think it is a great TV product that can be packaged up as more of a you know 2020 style here it is all in a burst so there's there's some logic in all of that but i think it's still it's got to be same day and um when you look at it as well like thinking back to the supercars deal as much as there was a lot of angst about it they still had their marquee races on live free to air so i was surprised that 
even though we're going to have Simmons Plains this weekend with live free-to-air, that's it. Like the Bathurst International, which is meant to be their yeah. flagship event, is going to be hidden away. And I feel like they've, yeah, the, I hope there's room to move in this deal. Obviously, Stan being part of the Nine Network, I hope there's levers they can pull to maybe adjust this if they need to because supercars at least, and I know there's anti-siphoning laws and stuff that they can't put Bathurst 1000 on pure pay, but um, I think it was smart to at least have their marquee events still on free-to-air. Well, I mean, with the Supercast free-to-air deal, I guess a network basically buys Bathurst and works backwards from there. Like yeah. that's what that's what they that's what they that's what they buy, and anything else that comes along is kind of a um, kind of a bonus. In fact, sometimes it's it's a bit of a you know you don't necessarily feel like the free-to-air broadcaster wants to take anything else. They just want the Bathurst one thousand, and they kind of get lumped with X amount of free-to-air races as part of the. Um, as part of the deal, look, it's. I guess if we probably sound like we're being really critical of this, there are just critical points to it. It's still, you know, again, let's come back to the number twenty million bucks over four years. It's not, it's not a, a a dumb decision to go down this path. It's just there's a lot of factors to it, and not all of them are are going to be positive or positively received by the competitor base. One other thing, I think I said last week, it was going to be called the Super Series, and it's ended up being the Speed Series. I believe it was going to be the Super Series, but supercars weren't overly happy with that. Someone at Stan Sport definitely didn't get that memo because there was a social post just a couple of days ago calling it the Super Series. I did wonder, Stefan, if your vicious takedown of the Super Series name on this pod last week contributed to it being axed. <laughs> well, yeah, as we speak, that Stan Sport Insta post saying Super Series begins Feb 12 is, is still up. Um, and oh, I did, did. I did notice that uh, Matt Braid slipped in a Super Series by accident during that media briefing yes. as well. So either it was going to be called that, and then it wasn't, or there's a lot of coincidences going on. But uh, for me, it's a great sequel to the Super Five Thousand becoming S Five Thousand at the mm-hmm. last second debacle of a few years ago. It's it's almost like there's some other force out there in the universe blocking the word Super. <laughs> Uh, I think that may be the case. Well, for the opening round of the Speed Series in Tassie this weekend, we'll be seeing Will Brown back in a TCR car. Uh, the 2019 TCR Oz champ will take over the Audi that Chaz Mostert won the title with last year. Uh, Stefan, while you were lazing about, I don't know, writing books or something yesterday, I grabbed Will for a chat and started off by asking him if he always planned to make a TCR comeback. Uh, I'm not sure if that was... Oh, oh, well, it was probably something I always looked at and definitely something I wanted to do. But, um, you know, around motorsport and funding and everything there, uh, you know, I wasn't I wasn't sure if it had ever happened, but uh, obviously it has. Why make the change to the Audi from the Hyundai? Yeah, I think it was just, um, you know, the sponsorship lined up, the, the team lined up, everything lined up. Like, uh, you know, Chaz obviously did a great job last year uh, in the in the team. Um, so I was interested in that, and like I say, I was just uh, just fitted well together, and uh, we're able to get you know sort of full sponsorship to uh, to run with the team. Now you kind of romped it in in 2019. I'm sure it wasn't easy, but it, it looked pretty easy. You were pretty dominant. Are you expecting the landscape to have changed a bit in the sort of I mean, there's only been one season, but in the couple of years since then, there's there's a fair bit of depth in the talent in the TCR field now. 
Yeah, definitely. I think also teams have, uh, you know, found their grip, come to grips with the cars as well, where we sort of got onto it pretty quick with HMO and uh, and did a really good job in our first year. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's improved across all teams. And you can see NPC's doing a fantastic job now. You've got wall racing um, and still the HMO guys. So I think uh, definitely the competitiveness of the teams and the drivers has lifted since then. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. There's, you know, supercars team bosses have differing views on on the benefits or the disadvantages of letting drivers go and do other things. Was it easy enough to convince Barry Ryan to to let you go and play with TCR cars? Yeah, I think he's under the same understanding as me. Um, you know, the day I stop driving anything and everything uh, is the day I'll probably become a, a not a very good race car driver. Uh, my attitude, I look towards racing a car whatever you're racing no matter what it is is you're just trying to maximize a car as fast as you can around a circuit now if you can't do that uh, in any car you hop in well i don't think you're a true race car driver yeah that's uh, that's definitely fair enough speaking of driving different cars you've cut some laps in the gen 3 uh camaro now what are yep. your first impressions of the uh, of the next gen car yeah it was pretty cool it was really like they look awesome quite early in the piece they had a lot of development stuff to do um the increase in times compared to even when I was there to what they're doing now and, and watching Brody on Friday is just significant. So it's been really cool to be a part of that and see, you know, the development of it and uh, everything that's gone into it. So uh, I think it'll be pretty cool. And um, I'm really excited that I've gone back to stick shift um, when I drove it with paddles. So that'll make it a bit more interesting when I, when I get to do another test day in it as well. I was going to ask you about that. Were you always uh, team stick? Were you sort of trying to push that barrow and, and stick with that mechanical system? Yeah, I was always keen to go the mechanical and stick. You know, if, if you're going to go stick shift, I, I didn't want it to be fake and a button. Um, but it's yeah. great that they went completely mechanical. Uh, you know, paddles. It might be something um, in the future, I guess, that a lot of you know road cars do have now. But for us, it's about putting on a show and, and it looking great and uh, and being hard to drive and, and all that sort of stuff. And that's what uh, what the stick shift brings to uh, to the sport. Does it still feel like a supercar when you're driving the Gen 3 car? Are there still sort of cues in terms of the engine note and stuff where you go, oh, yeah, this is a supercar, or is it just a completely different beast? Yeah, when I, when I drove it, I definitely had similarities to a supercar. Obviously, uh, you know, bring the stick shift and everything back like that, it'll make it even more feel like a supercar. So, you know, with, with the paddles, it does take a little bit away from it. But uh, like I say, I think with, uh, with sticking with the stick shift, I think it'll uh, feel like a supercar still. How's the visibility out of it? There's been a bit of chat about that bonnet on the on the Camaro and actually seeing out of it, and some stuff about the ergonomics. Of you probably fit in it maybe a little bit better than say someone as tall Shane Van Gisbergen does. But how did you find actually seeing out of what's a sort of different shape of car? Yeah, like for us, I guess you're jumping in a car that you do a quick seat tip for. You haven't got a mould. You're just doing the best you can. So I probably wasn't uh, wasn't mould. It wasn't at the height I wanted. There is a little bit of visibility issues, um, but Everyone's in the same boat. You, you, you learn where to drive a car and where, where the maximised point is. And, you know, um, I guess no matter what you drive, you, like I say, you learn how close you can get to stuff with that side. So um, I'm sure it won't be an issue once we start racing them full time. There was some talk from James Courtney after he drove the car about how it may suit, you know, guys that have been in the category a bit longer and, and haven't always been used to the current downforce levels on the car. Has he got a point, do you think, as a more, you know, recent supercars oh. driver or do you think that you're just you're going to learn how to drive a car, you can dial back to whatever you've oh. got underneath you? Yeah, I just think if you, if, if you learn to drive a car, you're – 
you never end up maximising it every circuit. You've got to be able to change your driving style for all different circuits. So I'm not really someone that goes on with that sort of stuff. Like, you know, I don't go, oh, someone, you know, I've learned to drive a bad supercar. You've just got to be able to drive every car. So I can't see it being an issue, but uh, who knows what others think. Mm. So how are you feeling ahead of the 2020 supercar season? I mean, um, you guys obviously go pretty good at Sydney Motorsport Park. Were you kind of happy in a way to see that, that late schedule change? Uh, I wouldn't say I was happy. Um, you know, Newcastle's just such an awesome event. The uh, atmosphere is great. The fans love it. So, uh, and, I lo- and I love Newcastle. So it's disappointing to see that pushed back. Uh, hopefully we definitely get to race that later in the year. But um, for us, uh, I guess with speed and coming off the back of the year, yeah, it's great for us to start at Sydney for uh, our competitiveness side and uh, trying to do a really good job. But I'm sure we'll be quick down there. So I'm excited to start at Sydney, but uh, I still would have rather start at Newcastle. Do you genuinely feel that you guys can build on that late 2021 form and become, you know, proper regular podium contenders this year? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, yeah, well, you know, we're run, like we were very consistent at Switch, but uh, we're racing, uh, sorry, at Sydney and thought, you know, we did four weekends in a row there, but we backed it up at Bathurst and showed our pace. Obviously, it was disappointing for, uh, for myself uh, to have the steering rack failure. But um, to get that provisional pole and still fifth in the shootout, uh, I was quite happy and we were able to show some really good pace there as well. Thanks to Will for his time there. I think we would all love to see his smiling face and his rosy cheeks back on the top step of the podium in both TCR and supercars this year. All right, let's do a bit of a news wrap. Tim Slade will make his S5000 debut in Tassie this weekend, driving for Team BRM. Bit of a step back in time. For Timmy there, as he drove for, for Team BRM in Aussie F3 back well before he was a supercar star, uh, there's some pretty handy names in the Trans Am field too, including Jet Johnson, grandson of the great Dick Johnson, a son of Steve Johnson. Uh, and here we up against a few other sons of guns like Nash Morris and Benny Grice as well. So that's a bit of a bit of a, a throwback in terms of the surnames as well. Oscar Piastri uh, was named Rookie of the Year at the prestigious Autosport Awards over the weekend. Uh, Max Verstappen won International Racing Driver of the Year. Joey Logano beat Kyle Busch to win NASCAR's Clash Race in the LA Coliseum, which we might chat a bit more about later. Uh, And Haas is the first team to unveil its 2020 livery ahead of the Formula One season. Now, it really was a livery launch rather than a car launch because it was renders of the paint on something that probably doesn't look much like what Haas's 2022 Formula One car will look. I think we're going to see a fair bit of this through uh, the Formula One launch season. Secrecy at F1 is going to be at ridiculous levels as teams deal with a whole new set of rules. Stefan, were you kind of underwhelmed? You know, there's always this big build-up to to Formula One launch season um, and then – we kind of got the first car was one that looks a lot like last year's livery on something where you can't really see what the car's actually going to look like. Yeah, well, I'm such a Luddite that I thought it was actually actually a car and I was pretty disappointed to find out it was only a render. But I guess that's what happens when you're looking at your F1 news when you're sort of squinting at your phone just after waking <laughs> up. It could have been anything, but... Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be uh, an unusual build-up to the F1 season because of how different uh, the cars are going to be. The, a big rule change sort of uh, triggers this uh, extreme amount of gamesmanship going on between the teams. But in a way, I feel like it just builds the excitement further. I mean, 
I'd like to think that the teams are going to roll out these these initial launch cars with some bits that are, are real. You know, some some things will be like they are on the final race car. Some bits they'll hide and some bits they'll probably put on there that are deliberately misleading other teams. And there'll be other teams with engineers running CFD on things they can see <laughs> and trying to figure out is is that is that lap time or is that showbiz. Um, and we're really not going to know what the score is until they start running uh, in pre-season testing. Yeah, that's the kind of fun part that would be great to see, but we don't. It's all completely hidden from public. And this idea of leaving bits on and all dummy bits and all that, it's actually not new. They do that every year. They've been doing that for years. But the difference is there's this whole new rule set. So it's mm. painfully – like we're, we're just desperate to see what these new cars are going to look like and are they going to look the same or are they going to look different and what's going on. And I guess it's just – a little frustrating that we're going to have to wait a little bit longer to see how that um, see how that plays off. And I don't think it's it's not. And the secrecy is not just because you know we don't want to play our hand. I think there's probably some pretty nervous engineers out there about you know have we actually got this right? Because remember last time we had a massive rule change, and you know it, there's been you know Braun went and won the championship because they got it right right, and everyone else got it wrong. You know, so these things can throw up some fairly odd results. Anyway. Let's crack on with our Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, who have you got this week, my friend? Well, this week I'm going to go with Cameron Crick, who uh, I did write about this week on the Vat Sleuth website. He'll be a familiar name to a lot of listeners from his efforts in the Toyota 86 series and also Mm -hmm. Super Utes. Last Wednesday, he was confirmed uh, to drive with Eggleston Motorsport in Super 2 this season, which is obviously a huge deal for a young guy like him coming through. But the very next day, he drove his late father Rodney's 1998 Bathurst Commodore on a uh, corporate day out at Wakefield Wakefield Park, which was a pretty special moment for him and his family. So, uh, yeah, he's my Castrol Star of the Week. Very good choice. I'm going to go with NASCAR for its Coliseum race. Now, I'm no rabid NASCAR fan, but, like, I had to tune in to watch it. I just had to I had to see what it was going to look like having a car race in a sporting stadium, and it was incredible. It was a like, incredible spectacle. Um, there was some talk before the event that, like, the speeds might be in the 40-mile-per-hour bracket, so I was intrigued to see, like, what motor racing looks like when it's actually not that fast. There was actually a fair bit faster than that, Um and it looked pretty cool, and you know, I guess it, it kind of it got social media burning straight away from people going, "Hey, what's the uh, what? Where and what would the supercars version be? What do you reckon, Steph? And what what could be what could be our version of of, of the clash in the Coliseum?" Well, I think if you're going to run it in like a sporting stadium, your uh, your beloved Optus Stadium over there in Perth, the, the surface over there is so hard you could probably run the cars on it without needing to, like, put any tarmac <laughs> down, right? So I reckon get 60,000 people in there, call it the AVL Clash and, and send it. That's – well, they actually – funnily enough, they ha- they did have a hire cart place set up or sort of around the, the, the outside of the stadium. I don't know if it's still there or if it was just a temporary thing, but certainly – at some point last year, they had they were running some cards there. I reckon that there's a whole sporting precinct in Melbourne that could be used. Like, you know, we love a street circuit, so we could have a street circuit, but instead of setting up grandstands, the track just goes in and out of sporting stadiums. The MCG, Amy Park, Rod Laver Arena. Imagine the grip on that rebound ace. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Leave the uh, Hawkeye system up so that Beardo doesn't have to uh, adjudicate whether uh, oh, someone got to the B pillar or not. 
track limits. Be so easy to be so easy. Remember anyway, when they introduced uh, Hawkeye to supercars? What happened to that? Oh yeah. What did happen to that? I do remember that. There's there's some there homework go. for you before next week. Yeah, we should probably so we sound knowledgeable. We should probably work out <laughs> the answers to these questions <laughs> before we bring them up on a podcast. Anyway. That's uh, that's the perfect note to leave things for this week, I think. Remember to like and subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast, particularly if you have nice things to say about us. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.